It's time, Fort Wayne. Your sports, your station. It's, it's the Sports, sports Rush, Rush with, with Brett Ruff. Covering all the topics that hit a nerve here in the Summit City. Only on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Now here's your host, Brett Rump. The greatest, most interesting, most important person of all time. You are Here we go on a Thursday afternoon here on the Sports Rush, your daily sports fix from 4 to 6. Right here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Little White State bringing us on today. Alongside producer Adam Lundy, I am the coach, Shannon Griffith. Filling in for our good friend, Mr. Brett Rump, who is getting ready to call the Purdue-Fort Wayne Bassadons against the Northern Kentucky Noors at 645 right here on 1380 The Fan. Big game. In their Horizon League matchup here, they've lost five in a row. It's time for the Mastodons to get themselves on a little bit of a win streak here because they started off really good, and they ran into some, I guess you'd call some sloppy play here of late defensively, and it's cost them some games, but looking to get right on track tonight at Northern Kentucky. And also going to have some really good guests on today's show. We're going to talk a little bit of... Colts football, now that we've had a chance to digest the season, talk a little bit of IU basketball with Mr. Zion Brown. And Mr. Duke Dukevich will come on to give his boys and girls top five as we, I can't believe this, but we're growing closer and closer now for uh, the <laughs> basketball sectionals, especially the girls uh, here in a short bit of time. And then we got a special interview coming up today. Helmets went out and signed a very well-known name out in the East Coast, but he'll introduce himself very uh, welcomely when he has the opportunity to join us on the hotline this afternoon. Diamond Hands' Daniel Ansbury is going to join us second hour today, so stay tuned for that as well. I talked a little bit there, Adam, about the Dons and Norris here tonight. Brett Rump with a call, 645, right after the uh, high school basketball coaches show. And right now, you know, losing, their, they've lost like five in a row, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? I think it is five in a row. That is correct. They come off a big low, road loss, I believe, to Cleveland State, mm-hmm. 75 to 68. And I guess in some of, the, some of these that I've had a chance to either listen or actually watch, They've almost become frustrating losses as other than the totally mismatched type of losses that you look and say, boy, they just weren't even close to that team. These are more inexcusable issues, mistakes, and they they lean themselves to frustration that ultimately handicaps them on the offensive side of things. But they've got to beat Northern Kentucky tonight, a team they've already beat early on in the season, but it's time for them to get themselves back onto that string of victories that they had when they started off the season. 
Absolutely. Uh, looking at the Horizon League standings right now, there's a good chunk of teams with uh, four losses and a couple teams with five. So Don sitting right just below the middle of the pack in the Horizon League standings after getting off to that hot start, as you mentioned. But losing the last five, you said it, some losses were just really upsetting, like the Robert Morris uh, overtime loss with the game winner there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, Wright State. They just absolutely shot the lights out and got to a big lead. Purdue-Fort Wayne tried to come back in that one, wasn't able to do it, uh, but just wasn't able to compete with that hot shooting from Wright State. Yeah, that was a tough one. The other games, just, uh, you know, I think a little bit to be desired on the defensive end of the floor, but uh, you said it. Tonight's another opportunity to get a Horizon League win here against Northern Kentucky, a team that we know the Mastodons can beat. They've already done it before, winning 73-60. to uh, sound defeat over the Northern Kentucky Norse earlier in the season, uh, but they got to get on track tonight, like you and, said. And that's a tough place to go play. Absolutely, they got a beautiful facility. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think people would be quite surprised the facility that Northern Kentucky has for basketball down there. But they're eleven and nine, six and three in the league. Mm-hmm. Here's Purdue Fort Wayne, better overall record, thirteen and seven, but four and five in the Horizon League Conference. And you know, I think they're capable. They are capable, and um, I was looking at some of the, well, maybe I'm not looking. <laughs> um, today, at some of their, you know, uh, their play, it ha- it's it's like you said, it's been those games where outside of Wright State, they've been within striking distance, but they just never got over that hump right. of, of, you know, uh, getting a victory you know, getting a one-point victory or, you know, three-point victory after being down six or seven in a ball game. But, uh, you know, I think uh, tonight, even though it's a tough place to go play, uh, but it's the right time for the Dons to get a big W. Yep, and the Dons have not lost their motivation. They're certainly going to go in this with their game plan that they've been following all season. But just circling back to what you mentioned, uh, Northern Kentucky, certainly a tough place to play. Looking at them on this season, they are 8-1 and one at home. So yeah. pr- very impressive home record there for the Norse. Yep, and and they've always kind of been that way right. uh, in, in their own barn. Big news started last night around 6.45. Right after the show, my friend. Mr. Jim Harbaugh inks a deal, five-year deal with the Los Angeles Chargers. And from my understanding, he was in an interview. They did not want him to leave because he was scheduled to interview today with Atlanta. And most were betting that that was also going to be an offer. So they didn't let him get out of the building. And they got him signed. I had heard and some of the things that, you know, he was working on some things with Michigan. And I think one of the things that he had requested in his contract with Michigan because he did not sign it, and I don't know if they've ever ever delivered on it. He wanted basically a no-fire clause in it. And I always thought at the time that was a little odd. And I mentioned this to Jim Coyle today as well, right before us as we signed on here, is I don't think any AD would ever put in a contract a no-fire clause just because of the amount of money and <laughs> things of that. But it struck me as odd because... Either he knew the hammers coming down from the NCAA for whatever reason, be it the counter-stallion situation and the spy gate or something else that we may not know about. Um, and the fact 
to, and I say that with a little bit tongue-in-cheek, not that I'm trying to accuse Jim Harbaugh of ill, bad things. <laughs> Take nothing away from their kids. They won the national championship. They were a darn good football team. But on the flip side of it, him going back to the NFL, he did what he had to do in terms of what his mission was when he came to to back to Michigan, was to restore Michigan back to that national spotlight, prominent team in the land, which he would, did this year after an embarrassing loss in the playoffs a year ago to TCU uh, by capturing the national title this year. And um, I just don't feel like he's, you know, felt like there was anything else he could do at Michigan other than, you know, go backwards because that's usually what happens. You know, you get to the mountaintop and nine out of ten times you take a regret, you regress. And at, he went to do what he loves doing. He loves coaching in the NFL. Yeah, especially, you know, it, it could definitely be a lot more difficult next season, uh, not just with the uh, post-championship uh hangover it could also you know with these potential sanctions potential punishments that could be coming down from the ncaa i honestly don't blame him for wanting to kind of get out of that after uh, leaving on top after winning the national championship but uh definitely a i i have to say it is a home run uh hire for the chargers i i do think it is and not even necessarily just from a football standpoint i'm also thinking just getting the chargers back into a little bit more media relevance honestly well, yeah, and he'll have uh, his style of doing things, of course, and not always was he a, ov overly appreciated at San Francisco in his latter years there, and just in terms of some of his, some of his I guess you'd call it quirks and such, and how he likes to do things, but, you know, they're definitely going to become a tight end oriented offense, uh, which I think Justin Herbert needs. He needs to have a defined running game that can help him in the passing game, because I think he's a tremendous talent that the Chargers have had, uh, and I believe he's a, a, a top quarterback in the NFL. I do believe that Harbaugh can bring in things that can only help him in his pro career. Uh, interesting to see who Michigan hires. Everyone thinks it's Sharon Moore, who was the offensive coordinator and served as interim head coach, I believe, four times. 4-0, to be exact. Um, but who knows what all is behind the scenes because they may say we need to we need to completely distance ourselves to Jim Harbaugh and whoever was with him here. And who knows, maybe Sharon Moore and some of those coaches will want to go with Jim to Los Angeles for uh, to be in the NFL. Absolutely. We would love to hear your thoughts on the Chargers hiring Jim Harbaugh and the state of football at Michigan. If you have any thoughts about that or any sports topics that are on your mind today, remember that the text line to text into the show is 46862. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, like you said, I think uh, did Jim Harbaugh leave because it was the NFL or did he leave because he knew the writing was on the wall? I think right. that's, that, or, may be the, know, that may be the balance of the question right there. <laughs> Some combination of both, maybe, honestly. <laughs> they did not release his salary, though, which no. I was quite surprised. I know it's a five-year deal. Just five years, but no salary. Yeah, it's which is always surprising. But I'm sure he's going to get paid a lot of, <laughs> lot of money. So now you've had two big jobs open within the last month. Alabama, Nick Saban retiring, uh, moving away from it, and them hiring Kellen DeBoer uh, from Washington, who ultimately end up hiring Jed Fish to fulfill his role there. And then, of course, now Jim Harbaugh from the University of Michigan to the Chargers, 
and who will Michigan hire next. Uh, but these are two predominant power teams that were in the, uh, you know, pretty much national spotlight now have major coaching searches going on uh, that uh, one left with Michigan. And it's uh, it shall be interesting, I guess I could say. But to get us all filled in on all the things sports in and around not only Fort Wayne, but the rest of the country is Mr. Adam Lundy. Thanks, Shannon. Let's check today's top headlines. Well, you mentioned we're going to have Diamond Hands Daniel Amesbury on the show later today, but a couple comments roster moves also made earlier this afternoon. This one uh, not going to be popular among a lot of fans. Forward Matthew Wedman has been loaned to the Henderson Silver Knights of the AHL. Also, the comments received defenseman Mark Antoine Pepin, a defenseman in a trade from the Trois Rivière Lions, for cash. Also, Mackenzie Dwyer was placed on waivers. Pepin, 22 years old, played 11 games with the Comets last season and had one goal and three assists. Bit of surprise hire in the NFL. The Panthers are hiring Buccaneers offensive coordinator Dave Canales as their new head coach, sources say. A first-time coordinator whose work in Tampa Bay this year, especially with quarterback Baker Mayfield, stood out to the Panthers. Canales, 42, comes from the Pete Carroll coaching tree, working under him at USC in Seattle before moving to Tampa last year. In the NBA, the Washington Wizards have promoted top assistant Brian Keefe to interim head coach for the rest of the season, replacing Wes Unsell Jr., the team announced today, who was let go. The Wizards are planning a full-scale open coaching search in the offseason. Keefe joined the Wizards staff this season after stops with the Nets, Thunder, Lakers, and Knicks. And the Indiana Pacers are taking on Joel Embiid and the Philadelphia 76ers tonight down in Indianapolis. The Pacers will once again be without star point guard Tyrese Halliburton as he continues to rehab and err on the side of caution with his injury. Halliburton will also miss tomorrow night's game against the Phoenix Suns and then be reevaluated before Sunday's game when John Conchar and the Memphis Grizzlies come to Indianapolis. And those are your top stories for today, Shannon. Halliburton's got to get back because the Pacers are in the midst of a battle in that in that uh, division. They're, I think, seventh overall right now and have a chance to put themselves in the mix if they can t- take on two big opponents this weekend. Sixers will be a tall task, as will be the Suns, uh, but they got them at home. That's the best thing. We're going to step aside. When we come back right after this break, we're going to talk to Zion Brown a little bit about Indiana basketball from the Indy Star. So we'll be right back here on the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. This is Purdue Fort Wayne men's basketball coach John Coffin, and you're listening to the Sports Rush with Brett Rump on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Go Dons! Well, I'm not Brett Rump, but this is the coach Shannon Griffith. As coach, of course, Brett Rump is down at Northern Kentucky getting ready to call the Dons game this evening at 645 right here on 1380. The fan coming up after the coaches show tonight, the high school coaches show. But let's keep going here with some basketball talk with IU basketball. Maybe get into some football, but it seems to me right now that uh, I use at a crossroads in their play of late, and some would say it's it's been just complete a, a mess. And I think we've got the right guy on the hotline right here to join us to talk about IU basketball, and maybe he'll figure get of us the secret message 
to get these guys on the right track. Zion Brown joining us now from the Indy Star. And Zion, I guess I you could say it has been a complete mess over the last few weeks with Indiana basketball. Yeah, thank you guys for having me, Shannon. And, and yeah, I would say that it's been very discombobulated and just kind of out of out of sorts for the Indiana basketball team over the last few weeks. Uh, ever since that Nebraska game, I said at the beginning of the month where they got blown out at Nebraska. Granted, that's a better team than we may have realized at the time. Ever since then, it's just been really rocky. And, and last week was really the accumulation of it all with those two losses to Purdue and Wisconsin. Yeah, you had some flagrant fouls and kick guys getting thrown out of the games hasn't helped. But let's talk Kellel Ware status possibly for this weekend uh, against the number 10 Illinois. Have you heard kind of where he's at in his uh, rehab? So earlier today, Mike Wilson uh, had a, a media availability, and he said that Kellel Ware has been doing some, some non-contact work, but he hasn't actually done any in-contact, in-practice stuff. The team is practicing at some point today, maybe even right now, some this afternoon they're practicing. And, and Mike Woodson said that would tell him a lot about whether Kluwer will be able to return from that right ankle injury that he suffered last week in practice. Obviously, without him, this team loses a lot. You talk about a guy that averages 14 points, nine rebounds a game, just somebody who is really reliable at that center spot, and, and Indiana doesn't have a lot of great options in the front court outside of him. So... Without him, this team, you know, it's not a, a, a team I see that has a real chance to beat Illinois without wear in the lineup, but with him in the lineup, you know, they could be good enough to, to pull off an upset in Champaign this weekend. Well, they've had eight days off here uh, before they take on Illinois on Saturday. Like I said, the number 10th ranks uh, Illinois. Do we get the same, or does Woodson make some changes and do some things to try to change things, some things around uh, to get their play a little bit better and consistent uh, on both sides of the court, offense and defense? Yeah, I mean, that's the big question is, is what is Mike Woodson looking at with this team and saying this is what needs to change now because this was the big break, right? This, this eight days off, as you mentioned, and, and after the Wisconsin game, when Mike Woodson was asked what, what needs to change, what, what needs to be reflected on in this time, he just said they need to work, which I'm not sure what that means or, or what type of work that means, but they definitely need to figure something out during this break they can take going forward in the rest of the season. The, the one, two, the two main things I'm looking at is will Gabe Cup continue to start at point guard over Xavier Johnson? That has been something now the last few games we've seen the freshman start over the six-year senior at that point guard spot. Will that continue? And if Khalil Ware isn't in the lineup and he can't go against Illinois, Will we still see Peyton Sparks starting and playing large minutes? Peyton Sparks, the Ball State transfer who just hasn't really lived up to what this Indiana team wanted him to be this year at center. And they started him against Wisconsin. It didn't go well. He, he played 29 minutes, and the, the lineups when he was on the court with the other big man, Malik Renew, just weren't pretty. So mm-hmm. will we see another, another game where Peyton Sparks plays that often if Khalil Ware doesn't go, or will it be something where we see maybe the freshman McKenzie and Baco playing some of the power forward minutes some more Anthony Walker, just something to switch what we saw a week ago against Wisconsin. Well, there's a couple of things that I think they could have worked on this week that I think will happen to make them better on Saturday. Number one's the foul line. They're only shooting about 62% from the from the foul line, which is a little bit of a head-scratcher to me. And then 
you know, they haven't had great starts. I mean, they're getting outscored by 27 points in the first half of ball games. And when you're fighting from behind, especially on the road, I mean, you've got to have better starts in the first half of ball games to give yourself a chance. You're exactly right with that. And this team right now is one that the first, like, six to seven minutes of games, you look at them and they'll either, you know, be outplaying them or maybe it's just a, a one- or two-point game in either direction. And then right around a little bit before that under-12 timeout is when things start to just shift. And the other team goes on a run, and, and they don't fight back. They don't bounce back. They don't respond well to those runs that teams go on in the first half. So I'm not sure how you just simulate that type of thing in practice. You know, as far as it, as far as it, a situation where you're up and then you give up two or three buckets in a row, how do you respond to that and not let it become an avalanche and just pile on top of each other? That is the big thing for this team for the rest of the season to look at and say, we cannot let a 6-0 run turn into a 14-2 run, if that makes sense. Now, we have to find a way, to, even when we give up two or three baskets in a row, to rebound from that, to, to be able to score on the other end, and to just regroup, even, even when teams go on runs like that. Well, the good, there's kind of good news and bad news in this next stat that I saw was the three-point shooting. And I know some have actually said they should be shooting more maybe from the three-point arc. Well, they're only 34%, which is nothing to write home about. The only good thing is is they've held opposing teams to 33% in their three-point attempts this year thus far. Uh, they just haven't really, and overall, take the, th- the three out of it. Even their, even their field goal percentages, when you look at it, aren't lighting the world on fire either. Yeah, no, this, this team just, we just talked about the perimeter play of this team, and it's been lackluster this year. You have, I mentioned Xavier Johnson, you talked about him too, the flavor of fouls he's had, the injuries, just everything about his sixth year and final year in college has not been exactly what IU wanted to be. You also have Trey Galloway, who's the other captain on the team and a senior, who last year went from shooting 21% two years ago from three to all the way up to 46% last year. Well, now this year he's back down to a measly 30% from beyond the start. So he's not shooting as well as he was, at least from three, this season as he did the season. Oh, so you talk about the shootings and the three-point numbers. They have improved, I will say, a decent amount from what they were earlier in the year. But this team isn't do- just shooting the ball all that well, and it doesn't have perimeter players right now that you look at and say, you trust them to get you a bucket. You trust those guys to get you 15 points from the outside. It's really been... Malik Renew and Khalil Ware, they're the most viable. McKenzie Mbako has picked up his play a lot from the small forward spot. But the backcourt players, Cup, Johnson, Galloway, just haven't given you quite enough to really compete against the best in the Big Ten. Yeah, I'm really surprised by the play of Galloway because I was – and I, I was expecting – I think most people were expecting to him to really uh, become that guy from the outside, being able to shoot the ball with consistency – as well as being able to take it to the bucket when need be. And while he's not even, I think he's averaging about 10 points a game, which isn't, you know, isn't, isn't bad, but it isn't great either. Uh, I thought that he was going to be that guy that was going to give Renew uh, some more opportunities because he would draw the defense out. Right, and he just hasn't been able to do that this year as far as, Facing the floor and being a reliable three-point shooting offense. Last week when Indiana played Purdue, Purdue basically just looked straight at Renew. Every time Renew, Malik Renew caught the ball, in the, one of Purdue's guards would just be right there ready to double-team. Not even shady, not even trying to, to hide the double-team that they were going to throw at him because they knew 
Indiana could not really make them pay if Renew made that pass out of the double team and, and swung the ball around. They weren't really concerned about what happened when they doubled Renew and, and how he was going to respond or how the shooters would respond to that because they just felt like Indiana shooters were not capable enough. And IU made eight threes in that game, but it was, wasn't nearly enough to really compete in that ball game. And Malik Renew in that game scored only eight points because of the defensive coverages that were thrown at him. And, and that's the story a lot of this season is, because Malik Renew playing well, but it's just not being enough because the forever play, the shooting just isn't where it needs to be to compete with great teams. Well, Zion, I appreciate you coming on here this afternoon on the Sports Rush. Appreciate your insights. Remember, Indiana takes on number 10 Illinois on Saturday, and you can catch up on all things IU with Zion Brown from the Indy Star. Zion, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Shannon. You bet. Well, we're going to step aside once more. Come back in a little bit to talk with Kent Sterling about some Indianapolis Colts stuff right after these messages here on the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Welcome back to a Sports Rush here on Thursday afternoon, 4 to 6, right here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. You know, we have had a chance now to digest the Colts season after that stinging loss of a last game versus the Texans, kind of what we call a play-in game, I guess you could say. But it's time to reflect and break it down from A to Z, and I can think of no other person that can do that for us than Mr. Kent Sterling from KentSterling.com. Kent, how are you doing this afternoon, my man? I'm doing great. How are you? That's high praise, Shannon. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, if you want to find Kent, Turn into YouTube in the mornings. You can catch him there. And then Two Big Brains with Dan Dockage and yourself in the afternoon sometimes. But that may get caught up now that Dockage has got his radio show again now. <laughs> oh, no, we're, we're going. Uh, we're going, but okay. We're, I, I told Dan we don't need to, but he's like, no. We, we, otherwise, we would just get together in a bar and we would sit around and talk, not on <laughs> YouTube, about sports for a couple hours. Why not do it on YouTube? That's right. That's right. Absolutely. And I'm sure everybody out there will appreciate that as much as I do, because I do enjoy watching you every day. But let's talk some Colts here. Now that, like I said, the, the season's you know been done. We're well into the playoffs. We've had a chance to really digest and reflect on this past year. My first topic of conversation, Chris Ballard. What do you think he did well in assembling this team in 23 and what do you think he has to do now focusing on 24 you know what we saw was kind of the priorities that he's always asserted he was going to be about and that's building the roster from the inside out uh the offensive line the defensive line those were the two strengths of the operation and and then as you got farther away from the snap of the football things got worse and worse and worse the cornerback's not very good that had a lot to do with health. It had a lot to do with the suspension of Isaiah Rogers. It had a lot to do with Stephon Gilmore kind of going to the, the Colts and saying, you know what, if I could play someplace else, that would be a great thing. So they dealt Stephon Gilmore to the Cowboys for a fifth rounder. Uh, it, this is a team that really got hurt early when Anthony Richardson had to have his shoulder surgically repaired and he was lost for the season. And, and you kind of had to make do with Gardner Minshew. Among all the backup quarterbacks in the NFL, there aren't many you would want more than Gardner Minshew, but there was definitely a ceiling with Gardner mm -hmm. Minshew where there were parts of the offense that just weren't going to work.
the way they're designed. And then you also had the contract slash injury issues with Jonathan Taylor early in the season, and that kind of put the put the Colts behind the eight ball a little bit. Nine and eight was a pleasant enough surprise that Chris Ballard's going to get a, an eighth opportunity. This is going to be his eighth season. Yeah, and and you know there are apologists for Ballard who will tell you, well, this is a really young team. Well, it didn't have to be a young team. You know, this guy's had seven drafts, seven free agent classes. This is the roster he's built, and it was a 9-8 and eight roster. It did not make the playoffs again. They've gone to the playoffs twice in seven years under Ballard, and I really think this eighth year, they got to get things straightened out, and they got to find their way to the postseason, or I think Ballard's job is in peril. Totally agree with you on the Garner Mishu comments uh, there. I think you see why he is a backup in the NFL. Now, he may have some yep. opportunities out there to maybe earn a starting spot. If the Colts can keep him, I hope they can because I think that gives you a blanket of security in some respects if you need him in a short period of time. But you found out why, in my opinion, why he's an NFL backup quarterback because, like you said, as the season went on, the more games he played, you started to see some of the deficiencies that he lacked in some of the things and areas of his type of play and maybe handed, handicapped them in some games what, what Steichen may have wanted to do. Let's move on to Anthony Richardson. Let's talk, is, you know, is he going to be the Colts guy, savior that they, everyone hopes he is, or is is the jury still out because there's just no there's just not a lot of data there on him because of the injury. You know what? I think that he's got the potential to be everything that the Colts want him to be. But the injuries plural last season, you know, the concussion, the bruised knee, although that only took him out for a few plays, you saw what happens when he runs the football and he puts himself into peril and and in that he, he winds up injured. He winds up missing snaps, missing games, missing the rest of the season after the shoulder injury. So you wind up with a guy like Gardner Minshew being your guy. And then you watch the playoffs. And, and the playoffs always kind of illuminate for Colts fans where the Colts are deficient, right? You know, if you watch the Chiefs play against the Bills over the weekend, or even if you watch Jared Goff, you're like, okay. Or Jordan Love. You, this guy can go win you a game. Mm-hmm. This guy can make throws that are going to lift your team from where they were to where they want to go. Minshew is not that guy. He's mm-hmm. not going to make a throw that's going to win you a game. And, and nothing against him. He's a wonderful guy and a really good for what he is. I mean, nobody has squeezed more out of his talent kind of reservoir as an NFL quarterback than Gardner Minshew. But Anthony Richardson is a guy who can make the throws, he can tuck it, he can go. He is very, what surprised me over the course of the time we did see him, is he's very smart in the pocket. He has great pocket awareness, great pocket instincts, and he's going to be able to extend plays, deliver the football in places where others can't. And that's the separator between a team like the Chiefs and a team like the Colts, Mm -hmm. or a team like the Bills and the Colts. Even Brock Purdy is a guy who can put the ball where very few can. He's very precise. C.J. Stroud's another one. He is an accurate deliverer of the football and can do it with some depth. And you've got to hope that Richardson is that guy. But I'm still, like the Colts have got the 15th overall pick. If they took Bo Nix at 15, 
that would not bother me. I'd be like, you know what? Maybe we've entered an age where you need two starting quarterbacks because you can't rely on just one. This isn't the Peyton Manning Colts of the 2000s where you just kind of you said, okay, Sorgi's our guy. He's never going to play it down, so what the hell do we care? Those days are over in the NFL, and, and it's certainly over for a mobile quarterback like Anthony Richardson. You've got to find a plan B that can go win you football games, too. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with, you know, I thought Anthony Richardson was a better pocket presence guy than I thought he was going to be um, yep. as he came into the year. But there are times where, you know, you kind of end up sitting on the edge of your seat watching him climb in the pocket and then throw the ball into a tight area and think, hey, maybe they do have the guy. You know, and it's unfortunate that we didn't get enough of him this year, but hopefully He'll learn from what he has to do to protect himself, and they can keep uh, a number two on on speed dial because, like you said, you cannot uh, uh, not have a good number two in the NFL. It's just it's very tough to keep keep those guys healthy uh, year in year out. Let's talk Shane Steichen first year. Um, what are your thoughts overall on kind of how he handled things, game management? Uh, personnel, things of that matter, because this was his very first chance of being an NFL head coach. And, you know, that's in itself is a very big, big task. Um, but how did you think he handled his first year leading the Colts? I thought he was really, really good. I, I thought he gave them a strategic boost, a schematic boost offensively that was uh, light, light years ahead of where Frank Reich was as an offensive play caller. I, I thought that Steichen was really good. I can't remember the Colts going for it on a fourth down where I was like, okay, you know what? He's making a mistake. Mm-hmm. And and I thought that constantly with Reich. I mean, I, I didn't like the way Reich kind of managed the game during the game. Steichen was really, really good. I thought the offensive game plans were terrific. I thought that he held players accountable. You, you heard over and over, offline and online, as we were talking to players in the locker room about accountability, and they meant it. Mm-hmm. You know, Steichen is a guy, he's not ruthless, but he's a guy who's there to win. He's a football coach. He's not there to be the kindly uncle for <laughs> a, a roster of football players. That That's not who he is. That's not what he does. You either help them win or you get out. And And I think he saw that, and this is, they never tell us exactly who made the decision uh, a specific decision in, in terms of the personnel. But when Isaiah McKenzie and Tony Brown got suspended for the three games at the end of the season and their lockers were gone, like their nameplates, the first thing I did when I walked into the room when those guys were suspended, I looked at the nameplates, no nameplate, and the stuff in the locker, gone. That never happened with Grover Stewart when he got suspended. Mm-hmm. Those guys, whatever they did, it hit Steichen in a way where he was like, okay, these guys got to go. Right. It's time for us to enforce our culture by having these guys pack a bag, and I like that a lot. I, I think that, that it not only gets rid of kind of the dead weight culturally, it informs everybody who's remaining in the room that this is serious business and that you better comport yourself to the standards of that franchise or you are going to forfeit the right to be a part of it. And I think that that's a really important thing that Steichen communicated really, really well 
and really, really quickly to these guys, and then he backed it up with his actions, and that's what good leadership does. Absolutely. And, you know, going back to what you said there kind of caught me uh, when you talked about as the, you know, you build from the inside out or that's Ballard's mentality. When you look at the talent that Steichen had offensively outside of Pittman, he really was kind of handcuffed for the better part of the season until Taylor kind of came back and gave him something. But I thought he really did a great job of utilizing the personnel that he had and really conformed it to their abilities as football players, not trying to fit a square yeah. peg in a round hole type of thing with somebody. But I thought they had more, uh, a little bit more success down the field this year in, in that regard offensively, and I did like the way he handled himself uh, on Sunday afternoons with the play-calling uh, duties that he had. Uh, and the talent that he had to work with because, you know, Gardner Mishu was <laughs> the big part of that offense uh, from about week five on, it seemed like. But now we're getting ready to get ourselves into that time period, free agency. We're looking for the draft. What do you think, in your mind, do the Colts need to do, not only internally with some of the guys that, you know, may or may not have the chance to be with them? I think Pittman's one of them. But who do you think they've got to target when you look at free agency and moving towards that draft? The first thing you got to do is decide who among your own free agents you're going to hold on to. Mm-hmm. And Pittman's at the top of that list, like you mentioned. Franchise tagging him is about a $20 million investment. That buys you time to be able to negotiate an extension, a long-term deal. $20 million a year is kind of in his wheelhouse of value after his best season as a pro this last year, you know, over 100 catches, over 1,100 yards, that's a guy that you need. And $20 million is not a bad investment in, in a guy with his skill set, with his age. And, and one of the good things about Michael is that he's a guy, he's not, he doesn't have burner speed. So it's not like right. he's going to turn 28 or 29 and all of a sudden he's going to slow down a little bit. He's going to be able to maintain whatever speed he's got. He's got great hands. He's a uh, kind of a ball acquisition specialist, and and he is a great. A lot of wide receivers are crazy. They're uh, they're selfish. They are um, they're idiosyncratic. And Michael Pittman is about as good and sane a guy in that locker room as there is. And that's what that's what Chris Ballard kind of gravitates to. He doesn't bring wing nuts into that room, and and so I think that the Colts. There's no way they let Michael Pittman walk out that door, and then they gotta they gotta groom another guy that they draft for a couple of years before he becomes productive. I I just don't see them doing that. Kenny Moore, as a slot corner, he's 30 years old. He's only going to be about seven million dollars a year, in, in all likelihood. Maybe a two year. The $13.5 million deal gets him done. He's a leader in the locker room. Another guy at a position where guys tend to be a little bit nutty, and he's not. He's an adult in the room. Grover Stewart is a defensive tackle I think he keep. He's 30 years old. He knows his position. He, he is a leader despite the fact he was suspended for PEDs. Six weeks they lost him. That is a, uh, that's an adult in the room. I like him. And then you've got Blackman, Minshew, Lewis, and Moss. And I, I don't think that those guys, like, you don't have to invest big dollars in those guys. Their replacements are going to be able to go ahead and put up the, 
the level of play that uh, that they represent, and they're going to be able to do it cheaper. So you replace those guys through the draft. I think through the draft you get a backup quarterback, and and I think in free agency you really need to go out and get a cornerback who can flat play and projects to be kind of an island-type guy, like Revis Island. You need a guy that you can just kind of throw out there and and say, all right, this is your guy, Nico Collins. you got to stop Nico Collins, and we're going to help with the safety over the top, but this is your guy. We need a cornerback who can get that job done. And I don't – maybe maybe the, the corner from Chicago, maybe you go get – uh, he's still young. He's still talented, and and a guy who is a top ten free agent in this class. You go get a guy like that to be able to man that position and give you an immediate upgrade at a position of need. I think that that's what you do. They're going to have all kinds of cap money. I mean, if mm-hmm. they cut Mo Ali Cox and then they restructure a couple of deals like Ryan Kelly's contract, maybe they put a second year. He's got one year left at at like. 14, I think. If you make that a two-year, 20 to $22 million deal, you recoup some money against the cap. You do that, you can get your cap space up to about 80. And then the guys you're going to have to invest in internally going to cost you about 30. That leaves you 50 to go out and kind of spend. Have yourself a shopping spree and, and try to figure out how to get this thing right in your eighth year. That's not what Chris Ballard likes doing, but the time's come for him to you know, he's got kind of a pair of eights sitting at a table, and he's got to put some chips into the middle of the table and see exactly how this thing is going to work. He, it's time for him to play play at the big boy table and move his chips into the middle of it. <laughs> Split those eights and double down, right? Well, hey, I, <laughs> I appreciate you coming on, Kent. Good talking to you. I knew that we would get a great discussion and insight on the Indianapolis Colts. Appreciate you coming on today, and uh, have a great rest of the week. And you didn't even make me yellow about Mike Woodson, which is so generous of you. That's just wonderful. Thanks so much. I, I, I... And purposely stayed away from the subject material that had to do with IU basketball. I didn't want to get your blood pressure up. Thanks, Shannon. All right, buddy. We'll see you. Kent Sterling from KentSterling.com. I want to thank him for joining us here in Hour 1, as well as um, Zion Brown from Talking to the Colts got a great second hour so stick around we'll be right back to take on that right after these messages right here on the sports rush on 1380 the fan 100.9 fm